Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome into the latest episode of Five on the Floor on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Thanks for finding us. You can also find us every day on Dash Radio. That's the Nothing But Net channel. Just download the Dash Radio app for free. Search for Nothing But Net. You'll find us 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. Pacific, Monday through Friday. Also check out FiveReasonsSports.com. Spell it out, F-I-V-E, ReasonsSports.com for all of our latest commentaries, podcasts, our YouTube channel, our merchandise. Have a new Goran Dragic Enter the Dragon shirt that's there on the website. Just put that one up today. So get that as well as all of our other heat shirts. We do have them categorized by sport. Also, check out the great sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network. One of them is the Gonzalez and Tybor Law Firm. You can find them at bankruptcyisgoodforyou.com. That's bankruptcyisgoodforyou.com. A recent report showed that over 45% of people use their stimulus checks to repay debt. This is money that could have and should have gone to cover living expenses. Even before the pandemic, household debt in this country, especially credit card debt, was going up and it was hurting families and small businesses. Nobody likes to consider bankruptcy as an option for dealing with your debt, but bankruptcy is one of the few laws that exist to actually help consumers. So before you make another debt payment that you can't afford or you do something drastic like empty out your 401k or borrow money from friends and family, why don't you talk to a professional about your options? That's Gonzalez and Tybor. Bankruptcyisgoodforyou.com. 954-378-8184. An attorney will answer your call. Again, the number is 954-378-8184. Consultations always free. It can be done through that number or by video conference. I want to tell you one more thing before we get into today's episode. Greg Sylvander and I, this is Ethan Skolnick, recorded with John Crotty while everything was going on. So as the Milwaukee Bucks were deciding not to play in today's game, and of course that led to the cancellation of that game against the Orlando Magic, but also two other games, Oklahoma City, Houston, and the Lakers in Portland, we were talking to John during this situation, but we decided to stick to the heat stuff. We're going to do podcasts and more on what's going on in the NBA over the next couple of days. So we will have a special Floors Yours episode. The guys from Light Skinned Opinions are going to join and perhaps even lead that episode. And also at the back end of this episode, we're going to play some of the comments from Eric Spolster and Andre Guadala, who of course is the vice president of the Players Association. These were made earlier in the afternoon prior to the Bucks boycotting. And the comments really were not about basketball at all. They were about uh, what's going on in this country, Doc Rivers comments, uh, and much, much more. So stay tuned for that. Again, wanted to give you a heat episode as we planned. Really good conversation with John Crotty coming up. And now, today's episode. Welcome to Five on the Floor, a Miami Heat and NBA podcast from Ethan Skolnick with Alvon Sidney. Alf954. Brought to you by the Five Reasons Sports Network. 
All right, welcome back to Five on the Floor on the Five Reasons Sports Network, always on Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio every day, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Today we've got the opportunity to talk to former NBA point guard, former Heat point guard, and of course, Miami Heat television analyst who has been doing the games, and I want to talk to him a little bit about what that's been like, uh, doing the games from back here in Miami while the Heat uh, advancing in the first round, sweeping the Indiana Pacers, uh, to, to go to the second round, I uh, have been up in Orlando. John, thanks for joining us. Ethan, great to be with you, man. I hope you're doing well during these uh, crazy times. It's been great being able to broadcast some heat games and, and just have, have sports to follow again. So let's start there. What has that experience been like for you as a broadcaster? <laughs> Before we it get into kind of what strange. the heat's been. <laughs> yeah, it has been strange, you know. I mean, first of all, it's been a blessing. I think we were all just so concerned and and obviously worried about even getting a chance to play again. And I think what the NBA has done by creating the bubble and the platform there um, has been, you know, just amazing. I mean, when you look at what's going on in society and with, with some of the other leagues we're trying to do, the NBA's model has been really the – truly the, the best one and the most successful and uh, with guys being healthy and the games being incredibly competitive. Um, you know, from our standpoint, I'm, uh, from a broadcasting perspective, it's the games have been, have been great, but what's been strange is where we're doing it from and how we're doing it. I mean, we're, we're actually at the arena in our typical seats, but there is nobody there. So there's just, you know, there's this void of energy that typically is buzzing and, you know, music pounding and fans uh, coming in and filing into the arena before the game. And you can feel that, that real, you know, palpable type energy. And that's not there. So we're having to, to bring that to the broadcast. And what basically the way this, the uh, setup is, is Eric Reed and I are in our, our typical seats courtside. And we have two 75-inch screens in front of us one that has the game live and the, from the feed coming from Orlando in the bubble. And the other one we call the matrix, which has various camera angles uh, throughout the uh, court. So you can see different things as they happen, uh, particularly on a replay scenario, um, you know, at different and, and different timings. Um, so it's been, uh, it's been really interesting. There, there was a bit of a, I would say like a two game learning curve where we were trying to, make sure we were looking in the right areas and just getting acclimated to all the um, information we had, you know, being sent to us. We have actual stat feeds right in front of us and game monitors, which is helpful. I have an ISO monitor so I can see, um, you know, some of the replays, but what's, what's really interesting and challenging is the production side. Um, our producer, uh, our head of producer, uh, Ted Ballard and, AJ Speaks have done an amazing job, but they're getting the feed a lot, Ethan, and they don't know what necessarily play is coming back from a retail, pers from a replay perspective. So, you know, there are times that they're saying, okay, we're going to replay, and they're not really sure which one, and I have to kind of interpret it as it's going on. So, you know, these are some of the nuances and challenges we've had, but overall the experience, you know, has, has been positive. 
Hey, John, Greg Sylvander here. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Um, as we kind of pivot more into the basketball side of this, you know, you've talked about all of the um, anomalies related to the bubble. I'm interested right. to hear your perspective on the on-the-court stuff from the Miami Heat. What are one or two things from their play in the bubble specifically, and I, I guess really the first four games against Indy specifically, that, that jump off the page most to you about the, the on-court stuff? Well, from an on-court perspective, I, I just love – um, what I feel like is the ongoing and, and um, leadership example that Jimmy Butler is providing. Uh, I love his tenacity. I love his um, leadership, things like, you know, that people may not necessarily see. There was a play where Chris Paul got really physical and tried to intimidate Duncan Robinson, even though he's a bigger player. And Jimmy lowered his shoulder and hit him right in the chest on the next play and took a charge and just kind of sent a message. Hey, look, if you're going to try to get in, you know, my guy's faces, I'm, you got to deal with me as well. And, you know, there are repercussions and consequences there. Um, you know, he, he keeps everybody in check in regards to, um, you know, the unselfishness because he leads by example that way. He's a point forward. His, his ability to create offense for others is something that's surprised me all season long. I knew he could score himself, but his ability to get others involved and then his amazing ability to draw fouls. I mean, he's averaging over nine free throw attempts a game. Um, you know, we saw him play in uh, game three of, of the Pacers series in the first round where he went 17 of 20 from the free throw line. I mean, just, he struggled from the field, could not make shots, but he became the leading scorer and helped the Heat fight through some of the choppiest parts of the game by being able to draw fouls and get himself to the free throw line. He went 5 of 16 from the field, but 17 of 20 at the free throw line. And when the Heat needed buckets, he's been the guy who's been able to manufacture points, you know, in like the third quarter, as an example, where they really struggled. He's the one who's able to kind of right the ship, you know, using that unique skill set. I want to move to another player. We're going to go through, um, you know, some of the big stories that happened during the season, but also some of the big stories in the bubble. And a lot of sure. these things come together. And one of them, John, as a former point guard yourself, is kind of what Goran Dragic had to accept this year and, yes. and still try to flourish. And then to kind of get thrown back the other direction after having the conversation before the season with Eric Spolster about why it was better to bring him off the bench. And there were good reasons for that. We talked about them a lot on five on the floor, preserving him, making sure that you had a bench unit that could be impactful, trying to clear the way early for Justice Winslow. Uh, remember him and Jimmy Butler to handle, handle the ball a lot, give Kendrick Nunn some reps with some veterans in the starting lineup. All of that stuff made sense. And then you get to the bubble and obviously, you've got Kendrick struggling a little bit with a variety of things, uh, including confidence. Um, and you had Tyler Hero with a breakout, but maybe not a breakout that led him to the starting lineup. So then another conversation, Spolster with Dragic. And Eric told us last week that, you know, if it was up to Goran, he would have stayed on the bench, um, you know, just because he had such great rhythm there. Can, can you speak as a former point guard to kind of what Goran has accomplished this year with all of these changes? And then, you know, first round series, he scores 20 in all four games. Yeah. First of all, I'm glad you bring it up too. Cause to me, he, he does not get enough to me respect, I think, and from a national perspective, but um, you know, he's the kind of guy you want on your team. And, you know, when you, when you think about humility, I mean, this is a guy who was an all-star several years ago. Um, and to accept the role of coming off the bench, that is not an easy role. I've been on teams where this has created major controversy 
where a guy goes from being a starter to the coaching staff and management kind of, you know, want him coming off the bench. And it, it's, it, it creates major problems sometimes from a chemistry perspective. And he, you know, basically accepted that role. And not only did he accept it, he thrived in it. I mean, he, you know, took it to another level and I think made the second unit um, a very strong second group. Um, he led the charge. He, you know, he is a, uh, has the ability to score and pass. Um, he's not, he doesn't do just one or the other. And we saw him be a real candidate for six man of the year. I mean, he was in the discussion as a top three, four, six man of the year, and particularly with the way the Heat were winning. And then to your point about, look, had, having to flip over in the bubble and now all of a sudden be, you know, um, a starter. And he, he you know, knew that role well, but still that doesn't make it any easier. And I think he's absolutely thrived. What's been really interesting to me is his um, continued confidence as a closer. I mean, he's been playing the entire fourth quarter. The trust is so high between the coaching staff with Coach Spo putting the ball in his hands. And it's really been he and Jimmy Butler who've been the go-to guys for Miami when they need a play to happen. They're running high pick and roll for Gorn or they're isolating Jimmy um, to draw fouls or get to the line and, and Dragic off the high pick and roll where he can turn the corner to score or look to get Bam or others involved with his passing. So I, I'm, I couldn't be happier for Gorn because I think he's just playing at such a high level and obviously he's really helping the team with, with what he's done from a production standpoint. John, you mentioned a key phrase, uh, confidence as a closer. And I'm interested to hear uh, your perspective on Tyler Hero in that role because, you know, I've watched the Miami Heat since 1990. And other than Dwayne's rookie year, I don't know that I've ever seen a rookie embrace those moments the way that Tyler has and, um, and also, quite frankly, flourish in those moments. So I'm interested to hear, you know, with your longstanding history with the league and, and just seeing him as a rookie develop and kind of blossom particularly in these first four playoff games um just your your key takeaways related to Tyler yeah Greg he's been he's been amazing and you know the thing that I've really taken from him is I mean he came in as a young guy early on and was confident um but he is he's very much aware of his skill set and he's he's humble in that he's always trying to learn and be educated and I think that's a really interesting dynamic because a lot of young guys will come in and you know, be, be confident, uh, you know, to the point of cockiness, but maybe their ears are closed and they're not listening, you know, to the coaching staff or maybe to the older players on the team where they can learn. And he's the complete opposite. He's like a sponge. I mean, he wants to get better. And, you know, during this COVID shutdown over the four month uh, break, he was, he actually went in and, and took it upon himself to continue to work. And I, I mean, I see a guy who I don't consider him a rookie anymore. He's, he is a, like a veteran, a young veteran, the way he's played in the bubble. He has expanded and become a true three-level scorer at the rim where I thought he was one of the weaker parts of his offense. He would, when he would finish at the rim, he would, his body would continue to go forward and he would finish, you know, well underneath the basket and, and miss a lot of shots, I thought, as a result done a better job finishing going up to the rim um his mid uh, range game which to me is has been strong along has gotten even better and then his catch and shoot three ball game what i like is now he he's got a slide if someone runs at him he can slide to the to the right or left and be able to stay in rhythm for his three-point shot 
where he can put a dribble down and, and um, you know, he can play kind of the, uh, what I would call the, the dribble handoff game where he can hit bam and come off and be effective. We see Duncan do that a lot too, but, um, and then on top of that is ball handling and decision-making is ball handling. He looks tremendous there. You know, there are times where he had to step in with, um, you know, some of the injuries and handle the basketball during the receding games. Um, and he looked good. And, um, you know, he has led the charge from this bench perspective, being the leading scorer um, and, and a guy who I, I can't ever recall seeing a Heat rookie um, play in the fourth quarter the way he has. Uh, again, confidence from Coach Spo and, and, and Tyler, and he just seems absolutely unaffected that he's playing, you know, in the playoffs at a, at a high, even higher level. All right, let's stay on this theme then, because we recently had Jay Tilton, uh, who was Duncan Robinson's coach at Exeter Hoop, on with us and talked about his particular evolution. You're talking about some of the evolution for Tyler Hero now. Um, You know, some of the things with Duncan Robinson, I mean, they seem to be happening overnight. I know they're not. I know they're not. I know this is months and months, John, but, you know, when you're starting to see show and goes, okay, when you're starting to see – uh, you know, him basically using his gravity to free other players on the offensive end when you're, you're starting to see uh, just some of the little tricks, the off-the-ball stuff, in addition to obviously, you know, the dribble handoff stuff that, that he's basically the best in the world at right now. Uh, I mean, have you ever – I guess I'll ask you this. You've, you've been around the game a long time. you played a long time. you played with a lot of different players. Mm-hmm. Can you compare it to anybody that you've ever seen uh, honestly, in terms of this kind of growth from nowhere? No. No, I can't. I mean, the jump is, to me, it's, it's absolutely astounding. I mean, he made 10 three-point shots last year for the team, 10. And there were times where he looked like, you know, he didn't think he belonged last year. I think he was pretty candid about that at times. He just, you know, he didn't have confidence. And in, even early in this season, it, uh, you know, there were times in the, in the preseason and and early on where he looked like he wasn't, you know, he didn't know how to fit in. And, you know, this is, this is something that not just I credit Duncan on, but this is something Coach Spolster to me, um, I think he's, he doesn't get enough credit for. He infuses confidence in his players. And, you know, he's a, with a young player like Duncan, you know, he has been so good about saying, hey, I believe in you. Shoot the shot. I want to see 10 shots from beyond the arc from you tonight. I don't want to see you hesitate. Showing video of him hesitating and not, you know, letting it go. And, you know, that is empowering. I mean, I got, I can't think, and having played for 11 years in the NBA and, and college, high school, you know, as an All-America, whatever, I don't ever remember a coach telling me, you know, that. It's always, the, it tends to be the flip side, you know, well, don't do this or don't do that or you got to do this better. Um, and that's, that's been empowering to your point. He, again, he is, he has taken huge leaps and bounds. I mean, you mentioned his ability to score off the, um, dribble handoff. He came off a pick and roll the other night. Um, I want to say it might've been game two when he had the seven made three pointers. He'd never had come off with the ball dribbling before pull up three. Um, they are running him off the line. Um, and we've seen, look, some of the best three-point shooters ever not be able to make the adjustments he's making. And he did. He's doing it like every week he's doing something different. He's getting better at. And, and what I mean by that is he's cutting back door. His timing and his cuts are, are perfect. He's, 
um, when the guy's getting behind him, he'll drive to the basket and finish with the ball in his hand. He's got a dribble, fake pass, finish move now when a seven-footer comes up and challenges him. He's making passes off the dribble. Um, this, is a, this is a guy who's not just a one-trick pony, not just a, you know, incredible specialist. He's becoming a well-rounded basketball player, and we're seeing this happen, you know, right before our eyes from a guy who last year had only made 10 three-pointers, and now he's over 270-plus, the most by an undrafted player in league history. I mean, it's just amazing. It really has been amazing. And, you know, when we talk about leaps with players, uh, I, I think no player on the Heat maybe has um, taken as substantial a leap um, – to to a real like all-star level as Bam Adebayo and I remember uh, hearing a quote from from Zoe a while back um, it was actually it wasn't even this year I think it was the year prior where he talked about one day Bam Adebayo will be the leader of the franchise and have his uh, number up in the rafters and I think fans initially um, because Bam wasn't getting a ton of run at that time, um, kind of looked at that a little puzzled. And now we all see why Alonzo said that. Um, I, I'd love to get your perspective on just the, the leap that Bam Adebayo has taken and also how he impacts the game um, far beyond just the box score. Yes, Greg, a great point on, on – um... Bam's another one of these guys. And this, again, speaks to the framework of, of what the Heat have put in place in terms of player development um, and the quality of the guys that they're, that they're drafting or, or trading for. Um, these are guys that want to improve, that are willing to put the work in, that have a positive mindset and trust in their coaching staff too, and, and coaches willing to spend the time. And, and Bam's, Bam's another one of these guys who just is not satisfied being, um, you know, somebody who can – who can just contribute. He wants to continue to get better and better and, and work on all phases of his game. And he's done that. Um, it seems like every time coach Bo throws something at him, he finds a way to, to pick it up and, and uh, have his own unique, um, you know, spin on, on what the um, skill is and, and make it happen. Um, so as an example, I mean, he's become uh, a tremendous two way player on the offensive end his ability to facilitate as a 6'10 player, um, an average five to six assists a game, and even more so just running offense. I mean, when they, um, you know, are looking to execute their half-court offense, Bam is more often than not the guy catching it top of the key area, turning, looking over the top, finding cutters, setting up guys for possible pick and rolls. He's become the best screener on the team. He leads the team in screen assists and one of the top in the league. So when you see Duncan, when you see Tyler, when you see Jimmy Gorin getting cracked open on these opportunities, it's Bam that's setting the screen. Um, you know, that's incredibly unselfish, but a, a really necessary thing. His offense, he finds a way. He's not, you know, a traditional post guy, super comfortable, you know, back you down, hook shots, right, left, turnaround jumper, face-up jumper. He finds a way, though, to be able to score and keep the defense honest. He can make enough of an open jumper. He can score uh, with, a, with a right-hand jump hook, but he's really good facing up. And we saw him take uh, Miles Turner a lot off the dribble, particularly in the first three games, and, and beat um, the long shot blocker, pulling him away from the basket and beating him off the dribble. And that's, I think, what his strong suit is. And he'll continue to improve some of the other aspects. And then I, I haven't even scraped uh, the surface of what he does defensively, which is 
just basically cover so much more space um, than anybody else. So the defense numbers go up when Bam's in because as a guard, you know, I, I remember the few guys that I played with who were great shot blockers. Um, I can get up and be more physical handling uh, on the guy handling the ball and, and try to be more uh, aggressive, trying to make steals or take away uh, opportunities because I know I got a guy like Bam behind me and he just covers ground in case the guards are beat on the perimeter and he can still recover back, you know? So it's, it's pretty amazing what, what he does because it's, it's not just one or even two things. It's, it's two way player, multiple facets of the game. And again, if, if I, I know Ethan, you've gotten to know him. He's, mm-hmm. he's one of the, he's one of the best people too. I mean, he's just a really good person. And, you know, that's the kind of leader um, you want uh, as part of your younger core group going forward. Well, John, I mean, you know, I've always said that kind of a, a holy trinity of Heat Bigs anointed him. You know, we mentioned Zoe, um, but also Chris Bosch and also Udonis uh, very actively on social media and other places kind of saying he was next. And so I, I don't think there should have been any doubt, you know, in terms of what he could become. I, I think the biggest thing with Bam is believing what he can become. I, I think sometimes yeah. it's it's about being more aggressive. I know Eric said the other day that we should all stick it up our you know what if, if we're gonna make suggestions here. But <laughs> I mean I, I mean I, I think nobody's being critical of Bam. I think everybody is glow, has glowing praise of Bam. It's just kind of like it's your team now, you know, you, sometimes you can just take it. I, th- I think we saw that in certain games, the Washington game before the break uh, where Jimmy wasn't in and Bam had to kind of take over. Like, I feel like sometimes he just needs to be pushed to do it because he's capable of doing it. But I did want to ask you one thing. I mean, you played with Zoe, uh, Zoe and Bam from a disposition standpoint, at least the Zoe I remember when he was playing, I know it's changed a little, uh, c- couldn't be more different. Uh, but, but, right? right. But, but, it, but in some ways, I, I do feel like as standard bearers of kind of what the culture was, so to speak, to use one of Greg's favorite words, and what it's become, I feel like they both represent it in their own way. And I, I was wondering if maybe you could speak to that, because I feel like the Spolstra culture is a little different than the Riley culture was when you were playing. Yes. No, I agree. But I think that's also the, t- the times and the era, right? I mean, it's a uh what's the best way to phrase it without sounding like the grouchy old man, you know, it's like, uh, you know, back in the day there was, it was, um, I don't know, you know, it was more defensive, hard nosed, physical. Um, it's more offensive now, free flowing, less physical. Um, you know, Zoe played with an incredible intensity and a real chip on his shoulder and, you don't see big guys play that hard and with that kind of intensity from my experience, they tend to be more relaxed and laid back and, and Zoe never played like that. And he was an amazing defender and shot blocker and, and just wanted to win and, and, and not just win, but take your head off in the process. You know, Bam is different. I think in terms of his approach, I don't think he has the chip on, on his shoulder like Zoe, but I think he also, carries the um you know people didn't think I could be this kind of mentality um and he's always you know quietly always trying to trying to prove that and he and he's done it um and I think they're both incredible hard workers I think with Bam you know Bam's to me become an incredible passer that's not something so um you know really you know the evolution of his game I thought he became a better passer at a double team Zoe did um, but Bam's like facilitating offense. 
Um, and his defensive style is different. He's guarding like various positions using his speed, right? He'll, he'll get off his man, help on the, on, the, on the penetrator, and then recover back to his guy. Whereas Zoe is just a, a nasty shot blocker who protected the rim, you know, so a little bit different mentality that way. Um, but um, I think, I think Bam has been, um, you know, just absolutely amazing. And, and what he does, you know, you hear coach Spo say it all the time. It's just, he makes winning plays guys on both ends. And a lot of it, you can't always quantify. You can't always put it in the stat sheet. I love that we've gotten uh, into some Alonzo morning talk because uh, one, of, <laughs> one of my favorite Heat teams of all time is the 96-97 bunch. I remember um, walking out of the arena after game seven when Timmy had 38 and we eliminated the Knicks. I say we, sorry, I'm a Heat fan. Um, that I, I'm interested since you were on that team, uh, what is your most memorable moment or if you have a great story related to 96-97 because I, I felt like that was one of the teams where we felt like we were on the NBA map when that team uh, won 61 games and got to the Eastern Conference Finals. So I'd love to hear your uh, trip down memory lane there. Sure. I mean, that was a really special team. And it was, look, it was my, honestly, it was my only year with the Heat. So I, I, I didn't want to leave. I contractually had to take a situation because I got a much better offer to leave, but I didn't want to leave. It was a phenomenal situation. Um, I really enjoyed the year. I enjoyed um, what I learned. I thought the coaching staff was amazing. I, uh, playing for Coach Riley was was uh, really, really interesting. And his motivation um, techniques and the way he connected with that team and challenged that team was amazing. And um, I thought he got the most out of that group. The players on that team, um, you know, a lot of them are still friends. Alonzo, Tim, Dan Marley. Um, you know, Keith Askins, um, you know, those were uh, really a, a, a hardworking group of guys. It was a very, it was a very gritty defensive minded team that, you know, the, the practices were like wars. And we, when we played games, it was like a, a joy and a relaxation compared to the practices that we had. So, um, you know, we were such a good defensive team and could really shut people down. Um, and I thought we became a much better offensive team as the, as the year went on, a little more free-flowing. Um, my, I, you know, my, my stories would probably, I mean, I could go on and on, but um, I, would, I would say, um, you know, the, the, the one that really comes to mind that's relevant to, something, to what you're... Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Talking about is the playoffs against the New York Knicks. Um, you, know, you can look back. There are very few series in the playoffs where a team can be down three, one and come back and win a series. And that was an amazing situation. Now, you know, what was interesting about it was we obviously had, you know, what I would call like the rumble incident with uh, Charlie Ward getting into the legs of, of PJ Brown and the ensuing um, situation, which, which created 
different Nick players being suspended because they came off the bench, you know, which if it was down at our end, it, it could equally have happened to us, but it wasn't. Um, but what was really amazing about that is Coach Riley took different articles and different um, quotations that, of guys saying things like, oh, we gave it everything we had and this and that. This was after being down 3-1. He sat us all down, read some of the different um, quotes, and it sounded like we were – you know, the quotes were kind of taken as a defeated, you know, kind of situation. And we literally sat and listened to him talk to turn around these quotes and was like, this is ridiculous. How can you feel this way? What you accomplished and you're better than that. And, you know, you've got to turn this around. And basically the motivation coming out of that dynamic and then winning the next game and you really when you're down 3-1 you can't if you think about winning the series it's like laughable you can't you you have to think just about the next game right I mean you have to because it's just too it's overwhelming otherwise and we got through that next game and then we went up to New York and had to play them in New York in game six which was as hostile an environment as I've ever seen um, and we won there and you know it was the feeling was euphoric as we had a chance to come back and, and win in seven games in our arena and, and to your point about Tim's performance and and how great that was uh it, it was an amazing ride guys uh, uh I really enjoyed that team I remember they called us the road warriors because we you know we could go out on the road and 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 beat teams there it didn't matter where we played so we've had pretty much everybody who's come on. I might've done it with you a couple of years. I think you came on with me about a year ago. I don't know if I asked you this specific question, but what was the worst Pat Riley practice that you endured? Worst. Um, I mean, there was, it's such a collective blur of pain and agony. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I had, I had foot issues where I had, I have wider feet and my, I've never had this happen on any other team. I was regularly having to go to the podiatrist and getting things cut uh, in my feet. I actually cut the sides out of my sneakers because we were in sneakers like every day for six hours a day, it felt like. And, um, you know, just the physical wear and tear. And I was in amazing shape, but I would literally, I've never had to do this any other, I played for 11 years on, you know, seven teams with a lot of, good coaches and players, I would have to come down and lay down after every practice. Um, the intensity was, was there. You know, we were regularly running 17s, which, you know, it would be too stressful for any of the guys to do now, you know, um, which is basically you're going sideways on the court because you're having to turn a lot more, which is, you know, if you've ever done it, that's the worst part. All of us can run forever basically going forward, but when you're having to constantly cut back and forth is exhausting. And every time you lose a drill, you'd have to run a 17. So this is, you know, this is never done at the NBA level. And he ramped up the intensity regularly um, in, in particularly in defensive type drills um, against the offense. And if you lost, you'd have to run a 17. So, um, I, you know, the level of intensity I, I've never seen in any other team that I've been at. So, I mean, that's kind of the, <laughs> The recollection I have, the, the five-minute runs we would have before practice where you know, had to hold your hands in the air, which was like something out of like a, you know, torture chamber. I mean, just, you know, when you run, you don't put your hands up in the air when you run, right? I mean, you, you run with your arms pumping. Try running sometimes just holding your hands straight up in the air. It's like, uh, 
like running with a, a log over your head, you know? I mean, it's like awkward. Um, and we would do that regularly. I mean, he did all kinds of things to test the mind, um, you know, and show you that your body could keep going. It was interesting. All right. So let's close here. And again, we appreciate John Crotty joining us. Uh, obviously the, uh, the analyst on broadcast for the Miami heat and, and we'll be with them obviously for the second round and, and going forward, uh, hopefully for heat fans. Um, we talked a little about Riley, but you've had a chance now to observe uh, Eric Spolster from your post for a little while. Tell me maybe one thing about him that you've observed that maybe you think is maybe not fully appreciated. Well, I, I think I alluded to it earlier. I, I'm, I'm really impressed with his genuine uh, affection, or I would say caring where he wants players to be as successful individually as they possibly can. And you see it in the development program they have. And we, we've, you know, we referenced all these guys. I mean, think about the, the steps that all these guys have made that we're talking about from Duncan to Tyler to Bam, um, you know, and, and Duncan in particular coming from the G league. Right. Um, and just the development um, Kendrick Nunn, who, you know, we didn't even have a chance to talk about much, um, you know, his incredible evolution and growth and, it's spoke caring about these guys and wanting the best for them and, and putting time and energy, both his own and the staff's into making these guys better. Um, and, and wanting to see them succeed. I think he's, he's very empathetic. Um, and um, that's not easy to do because he's the one held responsible for, you know, wins and losses and, and, and all kinds of personnel changes. And um, I think, that's something that a lot of people don't know. Um, and, and it's not easy to do that. It's, it's much easier to just kind of be cold and unfeeling and just, you know, which was really more in the era of when, when I played, I mean, no one, there, no one cared. You got cut or traded or whatever. It's just, that was the nature of, of the lifestyle and the beast, right? Now, um, you know, I think that's a little bit of the times, but I would say he's made, it part of the culture and, and the players and the players feel that guys. I mean, they know they're going to play harder for someone who cares about, about them and, and cares about their success. John Crotty again, uh, follow which Twitter account are you using these days? Is John Crotty heat? I always get the two confused. Is it uh, is John K Crotty or John Crotty heat? John Crotty heat. John Crotty heat. All right. So follow him at John Crotty heat. Uh, John, we appreciate you doing this. Maybe if the thing goes another month, uh, we'll do it again uh, at some point because uh, that, then that would mean that things turn out in a very successful way. But appreciate it. Thanks for, thanks for coming on with us. Thanks again to John Crotty for joining us. In a second, we're going to get to those comments from Andre Iguodala and Eric Spolstra prior to the Milwaukee Bucks deciding not to play in their Game 5 against the Orlando Magic and the rest of Wednesday's games being suspended. But first, a word from one of our great sponsors. I want to introduce you to another of the great new sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and it is a sponsor that would be important in any time if you want to have a beautiful workspace, but it's especially important now when you need a safe one as well, and that's safe 
cubbies.com, which offers modular office solutions designed to elevate your open office into a modern and safe environment at any budget. You can personalize your workspace with options like whiteboards, magnetic panels, acrylic sheets, and graphic branding. Most of the surfaces are non-porous for easy cleaning and can be removed or replaced within minutes. Now, this is for workplaces. They've got a bunch of different options on their professional series, but also they've got private room solutions, dividers, and sneeze guards, and they have a classroom series as well. So if you're involved with the school, this is definitely something your school should check out, of course, if we have school in the fall. And that's the point here. We were entering a new normal period with COVID-19. SafeCubbies.com, which is locally owned, is the place that you want to go. The phone number is 754-216-1071. Again, that's 754-216-1071 or SafeCubbies.com. We'll start. First question, Tim Reynolds. Hey, Spo, how are you? Hey, Tim. Um, Eric, how, how, we've asked versions of this question so many times in these last six weeks. How difficult is it to continue focusing on basketball? This is supposed to be the best time of year for a team. It is not the best time of year for anybody, obviously, right now. How difficult is it to focus on to not focus on what's happening in the world, especially, and, and even Andre said that he learned of Kenosha from you. He wasn't even aware of it until you brought it up with the team. Just how, how difficult is it to go through this again and again and again? Yeah, it, it is very challenging uh, you know, for, for everyone. And, and we had another discussion uh, with our team. It, it feels like uh, the definition of insanity that uh, things keep on happening, uh, that uh, that we're all horrified uh, about. Um, you know, for me, uh, when I saw the video, I wanted to make sure that I forced myself to watch it several times uh, because uh, you can distance yourself from it. You don't have to look at it. And, and that's uh, separating yourself uh, and, and almost ignoring it. Uh, but the the issue is, is clearly still here. Uh, there needs to be some kind of reform or change. Uh, yes, the, the, the discussions have, have, have moved forward uh, and there's slowly starting to be a recognition that there is uh, a system uh, where there is racism and, and, and racial inequality that, that needs to be changed and more people are starting to acknowledge that. Uh, but uh, the absolute uh, unnecessary uh, shooting. Um, none of us can wrap our minds around it. Uh, it, it just seems crazy. Uh, and, and there clearly needs to be change and reform uh, on, on that level, the uh, police training level. Uh, so something we talked about uh, today, uh, hopefully, you know, with more uh, discussions, awareness, uh, and then obviously voting, uh, that things can change where they need to change. Uh, but everybody is, is fed up uh, watching it and, uh, and not seeing uh, change in, in that area. I asked Andre a version of this too. You, you guys are playing with Black Lives Matter on the court. You're wearing a pin basically the size of an index card calling for racial justice. The players have the unprecedented step of the messaging on the jerseys. After a month of the world seeing that, Eric, are you afraid that it might have 
gotten stale in the sense that people are just used to it and either they choose to see it or they don't? Uh, I don't know. And that's why, you know, even this, this t-shirt uh, is something uh, that's important. There's a, probably a lot of things that are built in to, to get you not to talk about it or, or acknowledge it or uh, try to do something uh, about it. And that's why I forwarded that, that footage to as many people as I possibly know. And it really encouraged people to watch it over and over and over. It's horrifying to watch it. Uh, and, and a lot of us are, uh, have this privilege of, not, of choosing whether we want to watch it, acknowledge it, or not. Um, and I, it's, it's, it's just absolutely uh, horrifying to like, watch it and see how it, it developed. Um, so if, if there is you know, this excuse of, uh, of fatigue, that's, that's when uh, we all need to push through even more. Ira Winderman. Uh, Eric, um, Andre Myth yesterday, uh, along with Chris Paul with the Celtics and Raptors, uh, amid the discussion of a potential boycott, uh, was that broached in your team meeting? Have any of your players come to you about that? We did uh, talk about the meeting, and, and you know, I think we're the Players Association and our league is, is very fortunate to have great leadership uh, at the top, uh, Chris Paul and, and Andre. And, Whenever they do meet, uh, Andre gives us, you know, the update of what was discussed, uh, and if anybody on our team has any any thoughts uh, about it. Uh, uh, from our end, uh, there haven't been any discussions uh, of that, um, but I think they're going to meet again, or at least have a group of people uh, talk again uh, tonight. And then um, just on a basketball note, uh, 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 sort of secondary, but something you talk to us frequently about, um, you played a very competitive series against the Indiana Pacers, and it was a fourth quarter game to the end of all of them. And then you see what happens to Nate McMillan hours, basically, after all of that. I know we've talked about this before, but can you give us your thoughts on that type? Uh, thank you for bringing that up, Ira. Uh, it, it seems totally ridiculous. It seems like you're, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. Uh, just two weeks ago, at the beginning of our series, you're, you're giving him an extension, uh, but really it's just a media fake extension uh, to appease whatever they felt like they needed to appease. And then uh, after this series, uh, you know, to, to make that quick of an emotional decision uh, is, is really disappointing. Uh, we have an incredible respect for, for Nate and his staff and what they've done this year. And it does matter whether people want to hear it or not. It does matter. A lot of what this bubble has been is uh, who's been available and who, who hasn't been available. They had one of their best players not available, another rotation player not available. There's tipping points in all of those games. It was extremely competitive. Um, it was just disappointing, you know, to see that. Um, you know, I've been in those series uh, where it's a disappointing ending, uh, and everybody uh, in our organization has given everybody space and time uh, just to be able to look at things objectively. And, and I've been a, an, a great beneficiary of, of that type of stable leadership, uh, you know, coming from the Harrisons and, and obviously uh, Pat. Christos Saltas from Greece. Hello, coach. I would like to ask you, how is uh, the atmosphere inside the locker room after the Jacob uh, Blake's uh, 
the video. Excuse me? How is uh, the atmosphere inside the locker room the last two days? Uh, it's pretty heavy. Uh, it's pretty raw. It's on all of our minds for sure. Um, and uh, if you really uh, take the time to watch that video over and over, uh, it, it, it is incredibly horrific and, and discouraging uh, to see that, that, that that's still happening. David from La Gazzetta dello Sport Italy. Hey coach, uh, what do you think, what kind of message do you think boycotting the game, the, the Raptors Celtics game would, would send? Uh, there, there's still uh, going to be more discussions. Uh, so I, I, I'm going to uh, just observe and, and, and see what happens in the next 24 hours. And la last question, Will Mansell. Hey, Spo, uh, I know this has been discussed plenty throughout, but given what's happened of late, even more so, the mental side of everything, of being in that bubble, of trying to prepare for games with not every, not just everything that was just being discussed now, but family issues, all the other things. How are your players and staff doing mentally, and how often do you discuss the mental challenges that are still ahead, given how long you'll be there? Yeah, we, we talk about it uh, fairly frequently. Um, just be mindful. Um, of, of taking care of yourself, uh, connecting uh, so much uh, of uh, any of this is, is connecting uh, with other humans uh, and connecting with our loved ones uh, at home and then getting on a, a daily routine uh, of, and a daily routine of discipline of, of waking up at a, a certain time uh, making sure that you're, you're eating properly, getting enough fluids, hopefully getting enough, a little bit of sunlight. We're here in Orlando. Vitamin D does help and, and enough activities that are outside of the scheduled uh, practices and team meetings and so forth. Um, it's a challenge for everyone. Uh, and and there's two sides to it also. Like, uh, yes, I, I miss my family incredibly. Uh, but we are also part of something incredibly historic. This is not a normal world that's going on. There's a global pandemic globally that's going on. There are places and states and countries that are not open. And we're able to uh, be in an incredibly safe environment doing what we love to do. Is it a perfect scenario? No, but nothing is at this time. And, and we feel extremely grateful uh, to be a part of this. Uh, the whole setup is remarkable. It's working, knock on wood, like cross our fingers. Hopefully it continues to work uh, if we all remain diligent and disciplined uh, and active uh, participants in making this work. Uh, there are certainly some challenges to it uh, as well. All right, Spall, that's it. Thank you, sir. Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. We'll start. First question, Tim Reynolds. Hey, Spo, how are you? Hey, Tim. Um, Eric, how, how we've asked versions of this question so many times in these last six weeks. How difficult is it to continue focusing on basketball? This is supposed to be the best time of year for a team. It is not the best time of year for anybody, obviously, right now. How difficult is it to focus on on, on to not focus on what's happening in the world, especially, and, and even Andre said that he learned 
of Kenosha from you. He wasn't even aware of it until you brought it up with the team. Just how, how difficult is it to go through this again and again and again? Yeah, it, it is very challenging uh, you know, for, for everyone. And, and we had another discussion uh, with our team. It, it feels like uh, the definition of an insanity that uh, things keep on happening, uh, that, uh, that we're all horrified uh, about. Um, you know, for me, uh, when I saw the video, I wanted to make sure that I forced myself to watch it several times uh, because uh, you can distance yourself from it. You don't have to look at it. And, and that's uh, separating yourself uh, and, and almost ignoring it. Uh, but the, the issue is, is clearly still here. Uh, there needs to be some kind of reform or change uh, yes, the, the, the discussions have, have, have moved forward uh, and there's slowly starting to be a recognition that there is uh, a system uh, where there is racism and, and, and racial inequality that, that needs to be changed and more people are starting to acknowledge that. Uh, but uh, the absolute uh, unnecessary uh, shooting um, none of us can wrap our minds around it. Uh, it, it just seems crazy. Uh, and, and there clearly needs to be change and reform uh, on, on that level, the uh, police training level. Uh, so something we talked about uh, today, uh, hopefully, you know, with more uh, discussions, awareness, uh, and then obviously voting, uh, that things can change where they need to change. Uh, but everybody is, is fed up uh, watching it and, uh, and not seeing uh, change in, in that area. I asked Andre a version of this too. You, you guys are playing with Black Lives Matter on the court. You're wearing a pin basically the size of an index card calling for racial justice. The players have the unprecedented step of the messaging on the jerseys. After a month of the world seeing that, Eric, are you afraid that it might have gotten stale in the sense that people are just used to it and either they choose to see it or they don't? Uh, I don't know, and that's why you know even this this T-shirt uh, is something uh, that's important. There's a, probably a lot of things that are built in to to get you not to talk about it or or acknowledge it or uh, try to do something uh, about it. And that's why I forwarded that that footage to as many people as I possibly know, and it really encouraged people to watch it over and over and over. It's horrifying to watch it. Uh, and and a lot of us are uh, have this privilege of not of choosing whether we want to watch it, acknowledge it or not. Um, and I, it, it's 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 just absolutely uh, horrifying to like watch it and see how it, it developed. Um, so if if there is you know this excuse of uh, of fatigue, that's that's when. Uh, we all need to push through even more. Ira Winderman. Uh, Eric, um, Andre Myth yesterday, uh, along with Chris Paul with the Celtics and Raptors, uh, amid the discussion of a potential boycott, uh, was that broached in your team meeting? Have any of your players come to you about that? We did uh, talk about the meeting and, and you know, I think we're the Players Association and our league is, is very fortunate to have great leadership uh, at the top, uh, Chris Paul and, and Andre. And whenever they do meet, uh, 
Andre gives us, you know, the update of what was discussed, uh, and if anybody on our team has any any thoughts uh, about it. Uh, uh, from our end, uh, there haven't been any discussions uh, of that, um, but I think they're going to meet again, or at least have a group of people uh, talk again uh, tonight. And then um, just on a basketball note, uh, 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 sort of secondary, but something you talk to us frequently about, um, you played a very competitive series against the Indiana Pacers, and it was a fourth quarter game to the end of all of them. And then you see what happens to Nate McMillan hours, basically, after all of that. I know we've talked about this before, but can you give us your thoughts on that type? Uh, thank you for bringing that up, Ira. Uh, it, it seems totally ridiculous. It seems like you're, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. Uh, just two weeks ago, at the beginning of our series, you're, you're giving him an extension, uh, but really it's just a media fake extension uh, to appease whatever they felt like they needed to appease. And then uh, after this series, uh, you know, to, to make that quick of an emotional decision uh, is, is really disappointing. Uh, we have an incredible respect for, for Nate and his staff and what they've done this year. And it does matter whether people want to hear it or not. It does matter. A lot of what this bubble has been is uh, who's been available and who, who hasn't been available. They had one of their best players not available, another rotation player not available. There's tipping points in all of those games. It was extremely competitive. Um, it was just disappointing, you know, to see that. Um, you know, I've been in those series uh, where it's a disappointing ending, uh, and everybody uh, in our organization has given everybody space and time uh, just to be able to look at things objectively. And, and I've been a, an, a great beneficiary of, of that type of stable leadership, uh, you know, coming from the Harrisons and, and obviously uh, Pat. Christos Saltas from Greece. Hello, coach. I would like to ask you, how is uh, the atmosphere inside the locker room after the Jacob uh, Blake's uh, video? Excuse me? How is uh, the atmosphere inside the locker room the last two days? It's pretty heavy. Uh, it's pretty raw. It's on all of our minds for sure. Um, and uh, if you really uh, take the time to watch that video over and over, uh, it, it, it is incredibly horrific and, and discouraging uh, to see that, that, that that's still happening. David from La Gazzetta Dello Sport, Italy. Hey, coach. Uh, what do you think? What kind of message do you think boycotting the game, the the Raptors Celtics game, would would send? Uh, There's still uh, going to be more discussions, uh, so I, I, I'm going to uh, just observe and, and and see what happens in the next 24 hours. And la last question, Will Mansell. Hey, Spo, uh, I know this has been discussed plenty throughout, but given what's happened of late, even more so, the mental side of everything, of being in that bubble, of trying to prepare for games with not every, not just everything that was just being discussed now, but family issues, all the other things. How are your players and staff doing mentally, and how often do you discuss the mental challenges that are still ahead, given how long you'll be there? Yeah, we, we talk about it uh, fairly frequently. Um, just be mindful. Um, of, of taking care of yourself, uh, connecting uh, so much uh, of 
uh, any of this is, is connecting uh, with other humans uh, and connecting with our loved ones uh, at home and then getting on a, a daily routine uh, of and a daily routine of discipline of, of waking up at a, a certain time uh, making sure that you're you're eating properly getting enough fluids hopefully getting enough a little bit of sunlight we're here in Orlando vitamin D does help and and enough activities that are outside of the scheduled uh, practices and team meetings and so forth um, it's a challenge for everyone uh, and and there's two sides to it also like uh, yes I, I miss my family incredibly uh, but we are also part of something incredibly historic this is not a normal world that's going on there's a global pandemic globally that's going on there are places and states and countries that are not open and we're able to uh, be in an incredibly safe environment doing what we love to do is it a perfect scenario no but nothing is at this time and and we feel extremely grateful uh, to be a part of this. Uh, the whole setup is remarkable. It's working, knock on wood, like cross our fingers. Hopefully it continues to work uh, if we all remain diligent and disciplined uh, and active uh, participants in making this work. Uh, there are certainly some challenges to it uh, as well. All right, Spall, that's it. Thank you, sir. Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Five on the Floor on the Five Regional Sports Network. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.